The Amidah is potentially, potentially, if I start a sermon and say we're going to talk about the Amidah, that could instantly lose your engagement. Because how many people are familiar with what the Amidah is in this room? Okay, great. So by way of incredibly brief introduction, the Amidah is the most important prayer that happens in Judaism. It happens three times a day, 365 days a year, and it is the central component of what happens when you come to pray to God. It's made up during the week of 19 benedictions. On Shabbat, it's made up of only seven benedictions. Why is that? Because we don't make personal requests of God necessarily on Shabbat. And why would that weird rule take place? Because most of the time when we pray to God for our personal requests, it's because something we need or something we lack or something that's wrong. And God wants you to rest and relax on this day. He doesn't want you to think about what's missing or what you lack or what you need. Today, he wants to be everything you need. But the Amidah is a very ancient prayer that goes back in some form before Yeshua existed. By tradition, it was composed by the men of the great assembly, who are the ones who came back with Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the temple. So when I say this is an ancient prayer, What's important for a messianic community is to understand that in some form or fashion, our Messiah would have engaged with this prayer. When we read in Acts, it's Acts, now I can't remember if it's Acts 2 or 3, when it's talking about the first believing community in the book of Acts, it says that they continued to gather, they went to the temple to pray, it says. No, nope, that's not what it says. It says for the prayer. In Judaism, the prayer is the Amidah. It is Hatafilah, the prayer. So even the early believing communities were praying what we say some shortened version of on Shabbat when we go through those seven benedictions. That's your Amidah history. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Check this out. Hillsong, Australian, Christian, big, big church, like foundational church music, folks. Here's the deep insight and revelation that I received this week in preparation for this week's message. That song, written by Hillsong, been redone multiple times. Everyone loves to sing it. I, I came to this connection, although you may say it's a very loose one. I've confidently determined that the authors of that song wrote it immediately after praying the Amidah. The second benediction, to be exact. I mean, the Amidah says, 
You are ever, you are mighty forever, God. You are you're mighty and and awesome and ready to save. That's what this Amidah prayer says. So it's obvious, right, that these guys, these Australian Christian rockers, finished the Amidah and said, "You know what? This is what Jesus prayed. Let's write this in a song." You think that happened? Probably not. The guys' names are Ben, Ben, what are their names? Ben Fielding and Reuben Morgan. So there's a chance, probably unlikely that Ben and Reuben wrote the, Amidah, wrote the uh, song after the Amidah. However, Ben and Reuben? Benjamin and Reuben? Come on, there it is. <laughs> Okay, I'm serious now. They didn't, but, but they, they probably don't even know what the Amidah is and think it has like something to do with the Amish or something. I don't know. But here's what they do know. They do know that everyone loves to sing about the might of God. We desire, we need in our needer, we need to know that God is mighty. It's a theme that goes all throughout the Bible. God made the earth by his power, Jeremiah. Great is the Lord and abundant in power, Psalms. God is my strong fortress, Second Samuel. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you, Second Chronicles. And many, 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 many more. We want a mighty God. So that song resonates with something within us. It is not surprising then that when we look at an ancient prayer like the Amidah, we would find a benediction in it that is about God's might, which is the second one. Atagi You are mighty forever, God. That's how it begins. <clears throat> And that's awesome, and that sounds really good, but there's something weird that happens. In that prayer about God's might, it instantly switches into talking about dead people and, like, the dead and raising the dead and doing all this stuff. And, like, that's sort of a... It's 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 a little bit of a strange connection. And the, the Hillsong guys kind of picked up on that when they were finished praying the Amidah. And said, "You're, you know, you rose and conquered the grave. See, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm kidding, but I'm going to talk to Reuben and Ben because I think they, they, they should write some more songs about the Amidah. But listen, there is a particular historical reason reason why it moves from our God is mighty, 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 dead, dead, resurrect, resurrect. There's a historical connection, and it's something that will be very familiar to you. If you're not aware, in the days of Yeshua, there was a very, very big controversy taking place between two of the big powerhouses in Judaism. Who might you think those were? I heard a, one very good answer, Hillel and Shammai, but I'm talking on a bigger scale. Pharisees and Sadducees, right? What was the controversy? As Sam said, I'm not sure he may need a ride home or he's talking about the resurrection of the dead, which was actually a very significant controversy. We see it in all kinds of rabbinic writings. We see it in Josephus, in the Mishnah. We see it in the Gospels. We see it in the Apostolic Scriptures. This was a very big deal. And they fought about it, right? 
And this, the resurrection of the dead is a hallmark of Pharisaic belief. It's, it's like, yeah, man, this world, this world stinks for a lot of people. This can't be it. There's got to be more after this, and therefore there must be a resurrection of the dead. That was the Pharisaic belief. Sadducees, uh-uh, this is it. Which might explain why they were more interested in money and possessions and power and all the different things that Yeshua really didn't care for them about. But this was a real controversy, and we see it happening in Paul when he goes and testifies in front of the Sanhedrin and Acts, right? He says, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees, and I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. And as he said this, there occurred a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And of course, with that attitude, you know why they were called Sadducees, right? Because they were... S- <laughs> eh. Eh. But Paul was smart, so he's, he's tapping into this division here to make some allies. But it wouldn't be surprising then, since the Amidah in its final form was composed by the Pharisees who became the rabbis, the sages, putting this into final form, it's not surprising then that we would see them taking a prayer that talks about God's might and saying, oh, and by the way, he's raising the dead. He's mighty to raise the dead. The resurrection's real. He's going to resurrect the dead six times because the Pharisees are saying, you stinky Sadducees. And for those of you who might, might think or have ever thought or anyone ever who thinks that Yeshua was a massive Pharisee hater, he agreed with what they said. The resurrection of the dead was one of the most important things that he talked about. And you remember this Sadducean argument that they came to him and tested him and they said, a woman marries a brother, the brother dies, she marries his brother, and goes on. And they say, whose wife will she be in heaven? And Yeshua, I could just imagine him looking at him like, is, is that, are you that dense? Are you missing so much? And I think Yeshua probably encountered people and thought they were dense. I know he's perfect and all those things, but... And he says to them, Is this not the reason you are mistaken, that you do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God? They're talking about the resurrection. And what he's saying is, guys, here's an answer. I'm not even going to give you an answer to that question about the marriage thing. You figure that out. What you're missing here is the might of God and this entire concept of the resurrection. And he says, if you miss that, you're missing the greatest power of God. So we see that support of this Pharisaic position. It's actually a Yeshua position. Most importantly, like you can't even understand who God is and what makes him so powerful, guys. Now, it's interesting that Yeshua would equate the resurrection with the power of God. What about all the other incredibly mighty things that God did? How about like creating the world? That's a pretty big thing. And he did that with his word, right? And he told Job all those things. He said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Who set its measurements? Have you ever commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? God forms light and creates darkness. I love that. 
He forms lights and light and creates darkness. He, he tells the sea how far it can go. He sends forth lightnings. These are all Bible verses, by the way. And he, he, as he was creating the universe, the sons of God, at this point it means the angels, were singing and rejoicing about his incredible mighty things. That's pretty mighty. Why isn't that at the top of the list? Well, first off, if you know something about Jewish prayer, you know that by the time you get to the central component where you're in this conversation with God about prayer, you've already said all those things. You've already talked about Baruch, Shemar, God, you created the world with your word. You redeemed us at the seashore. You, the stars obey you. You, you command the rays of the sun. Like we've already elevated God to such a high place in the prayers that by the time we get to the Amidah, that's already been done. Okay? So we could continue to do that, but we don't have to. Now, we're moving from all of God's adoration and His great creative power and all these other things, and we move into the Amidah, and actually what we do is we step back, and then we step forward into His presence. It's an official, like, we have, we have praised You, we have adored You, and now... We're coming into your presence and we want to converse with you. That's what prayer is, even when we don't hear God's voice. That's what prayer is. It's a conversation. I really wish we heard God's voice. Regularly. Like every morning. Okay, God, here are my plans for today. Are these good plans? Wouldn't that be nice? God, I'm waking up today. I know there might be something unexpected coming. Can you go ahead and email me all the places I shouldn't be today or the things I should or should not do today? Wouldn't that be nice? The old bat phone. I want a God phone. Listen, there's a problem. Yeah, hey, what's up? Um, listen, I got a problem down here. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, got it, thanks. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> But prayer doesn't work that way. But anyway, well, sometimes it does. There's a few moments in my life, personally, where I've still not actually heard God speak, but yet I've heard God speak. You know those moments? They're very special. Very special. So, anyway, back to what we're talking about. Prayer is about us. Prayer is about us. It's about us. God, me. We are God's favorite thing. Did you know that? Of all the great things he's done in the world, we are his favorite. And so when we're praying and talking to him, it's about us. So in understanding God's might, mighty God, God, mighty, mighty, mighty. Okay, I see all that creative stuff, but what, what are you doing for me? Now that sounds so selfish, but isn't that really the way it is? God, what, what, what can you do for me? So in this conversation, God's might in this prayer, which I actually should have read you the prayer at the beginning. That might give you a little bit more context. Can I just read you what this benediction says in the, in the, it's called givorot. Givorot, it means mighty, 
power. You are eternally powerful, my master. You resurrect the dead and are fully able to save. At, sometimes we say you cause the wind to blow and send down the rain. At other places in the season, we say you send down the dew. With devoted love, you sustain those who are living. With deep compassion, you resurrect the dead. There's that again. You uphold those who fall, heal the sick, set captives free, maintain faithfulness to those who sleep in the dust. Who sleeps in the dust? The dead. He's talking about that. Who is like you, capable of power, powerful deeds? Who can compare with you? You are a king who causes death and resurrects and makes salvation sprout forth. You are faithful to resurrect the dead. Blessed are you, O Lord, who resurrects the dead. Man, that's a lot of dead. But that prayer actually is talking also about some of God's unique abilities, life. He causes dew and rain, which brings life. He causes the wind to blow. He sustains the living. He supports the fallen and heals the sick. So those are life things in this prayer about God's might and a lot of death things. And yet, listen to me carefully on this. Those life type things are things that we in a sort of way can do in our own power. Okay, listen. It says you, you, you cause the dew and the rain. Well, listen, we can irrigate our fields. We can water our grass. We can even create snow. My refrigerator makes ice on a regular basis. And a man invented my refrigerator, freezer, whatever. We can, some might argue that we have the power within us in the creation of life. Listen, if you choose not to procreate, you will not create life. If you do, then there's a chance God, uh, sadly, not everyone does, but there is a chance that if you choose to, you will create some life. We do that. And like we, we, it's certainly not a given, but we, we labor to set captives free. We create medicine and have health care that preserves life. We support the downtrodden and the poor, and we do all this stuff with generosity. We do those things too, God. Now, I know, listen, nothing happens without God and the water and all that stuff. I get it. I'm, I, but, but what I'm saying is a skeptic could argue that. A skeptic could say, listen, we're smart. We're humans. We can, we don't need a mighty God to do that. We're doing just fine. And yet there is something over which man possesses no power, no might, no ability to prevent, no ability to escape. And what is that? Thanks to our brother Adam, you will never escape the grave. It will find you. Unless, well, that's, that's the conclusion, but anyway. We are powerless. We have no might against death. That is not, some, we can cheat it, sort of, right? We can live a good life. We can exercise. We can eat right. We can take vitamins. We can do stuff. If we get sick, we can go to the doctor. There's ways you can cheat Death, but it will find you out. Yes? It is unconquerable. We were, thanks to Adam, we were, we were now forever confronted with an unconquerable enemy. 
We have no power. We can extend life, but when death comes, it is the end of the story. It is our greatest natural enemy. And yet, it is God's greatest victory through his mighty power to save. He alone has the power to reverse death. Only him. And what more powerful representation, more pointed focus of God's infinite power than his, his unconquerable ability to give life to the dead, a uniquely mighty attribute of God. And yes, I realize he created the 50 gazillion, bajillion, trillion, quadzillion stars and universes and all that stuff. But for us, the greatest and most mighty gift that God has given is the ability to live eternally in his kingdom with him. That's pretty doggone mighty and compassionate. He loves you, which takes us right and nicely to this most famous of scriptures for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, right? That what? That we wouldn't die. That we could have death beaten for us. And how will he do that? How will he do that? The prayer continues to say it. Now realize, these are traditional Jews writing this a long, long, long time ago. And what does the prayer say in Hebrew when it says, you cause salvation to sprout? It says these words, Memit umchaye umatzmiach Yeshua. You got to say it like that. Yeshua. Because that's not actually Yeshua's name. That's not what that is. That is the word salvation. But wow, sounds a lot like Yeshua, doesn't it? It's spelled differently, and Yeshua's name is certainly derived from the same wording. But he's saying, my goodness, Yeshua. You cause life, you restore the dead, and how do you do it? You cause Yeshua to sprout forth. Woo! Man, that was a long time ago. And here's my thing. And I wish I could walk away from this mic, but we're not there yet. So here's the thing. I imagine them being in the temple or the synagogue in Nazareth or wherever they were, the disciples and Yeshua. And like I said before, we can't know for sure that this was the wording of this prayer, but for this historical fiction, if you'll allow me, though I'd like to think it really happened. I imagine them kind of gathered together and they say, okay, it's time for the Yamidah. And they stand up and they go through the first thing and it's about Abraham's faithfulness. And then we get into this prayer. You know, they've said the Shema together and it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And they're saying, yeah, I remember when he taught us about that. That was a good sermon. And then they get into the Amidah and they stand together and they're praying. And these words begin. You are mighty forever, God. And the prayer continues. With devoted love, you sustain those who are living. You do that with deep compassion. 
and he goes into this thing and the guys are with him and he's praying and then it comes to that part that I just told you. Who is like you capable of powerful deeds and who can compare with you? You are a king who causes death. He says, and as they look over at him, he gets that closed-eyed, special smile that breaks across his face. And they didn't really know why it was so special to him at that point, but he did inside. He knew what God's might was going to accomplish through him. And later they would know what he meant. That's me, Dad. I got it. Man, Jewish prayer gets a bad rap. You know what? People say, I'm going to die. What is that, man? Ain't got no life in that prayer. That's, that ain't spontaneous, man. I got to have spirit and fire in my prayers. I got to have life. I can't say the same words. Don't you know he told them, he told them Jews on the corner. It's them's vain repetitions. Well, he was talking to pagans, actually. He said, hey, don't do what the pagans do with vain repetitions, but that's another sermon. So anyway, Jewish prayer, it's like, you say the same things over and over again. Man, that's dead. Where's the life in that? There's the life! My goodness, can you get more life? God, you're mighty. You're doing something incredible for me, and you're doing it by making salvation sprout in the Messiah in whom I have attached myself to. Jiminy beeswax. You want a life prayer? You want a, you want a kingdom prayer that you can get behind every single day of your life, three times a day, so don't tell me Jewish prayer is boring. But that's not what... This is about. And this is the end of it. Like I said, they didn't really know why Yeshua would have that shining smile in this prayer that they say every day, three times a day, 365 days a year. But he did. And he understood the Father. And then they did. And now we do. And I love, there's a, there's a thing in the Koran Maksur, the Rosh Hashanah prayer book, probably written by Jonathan Sachs, commenting on this givurot, the mighty benediction. And he says this about death and the resurrection. How it will be, we do not know. But that it will be, this we believe. Death is not the end. Loss is not final. Those who died will one day live again. How's it going to happen? Umatsmiach Yeshua. He is indeed mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Shabbat Shalom. 
We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.